uh, we are kind of like in a, in, we have a Sunday that's kind of in between here. So next week, we're going to begin a new study. We're going to actually uh, begin the book of Galatians. And it's going to take us all the way through to Advent. So believe it or not, we're like rounding out the year. <laughs> Advent's coming sooner than later. Um, so yeah, we will start Galatians next week. But tonight, I wanted to take um, sort of a week to just challenge us a little bit, um, to hopefully recenter us on what it is that we're to be doing as a church and how we're supposed to be living. Um, and you can see Saturate up there. As a leadership team, we've been reading, I've been trying to actually put this book in as many people's hands as possible. I've been reading a book called Saturate by Jeff Vanderstelt. Everybody read it? Yeah? Cool. Um, my hope is that we can collectively be inspired. If you could go on Amazon and buy it, I'd suggest it. It's worth reading. It's not going to be anything that's like mind-blowing or revolutionary. It's simple things. Um, just kind of a, a refocusing. But that's kind of the crux of where we're going tonight. Just if you've read the book. So my hope is that we would collectively, like I said, be inspired to be a little bit more intentional with our faith, with our discipleship, with our life on mission. And uh, to be growing as a disciple, to be growing as a follower of Jesus, it means that you're, you're an apprentice of Jesus. You're, you're learning to follow and be like him. We're always growing. We're always uh, needing to be more intentional in our submission to the lordship and leadership of Jesus. It's not like something you cross off and then you're done. This is like a lifelong process that we're in. The goal is that we spend time with him, we learn to be like him, and then ultimately that we would go and do as he does and as he is doing. Um, and the, the trick here is this does not happen by osmosis. Like being here in this room on a Sunday doesn't make you a disciple of Jesus. Listening to sermons every week does not make you a follower of Jesus. It means you listen to somebody talk about the Bible. Discipleship is an intentional thing that requires intentionality and effort. It requires that you actually put work into this thing. All of life, therefore, falls into that category. It's all discipleship, all of it. All of life is a training ground. It's, it's, it's where the way of Jesus is worked out. It's not just a once a week gathering on a Sunday. It's the frustrating moments at work. It's when your kids are misbehaving and disobeying. It's when they wake you up in the middle of the night. Those are the moments where you begin to form the image of Jesus in you. How do you respond? Our passage that Britain read this evening oddly enough, is actually the first passage I taught on in my very first sermon here. Um, and you'll probably, if I'm honest, this is one of my favorite chunks of scripture. You'll probably hear me talk about it more than just tonight. Um, <laughs> this won't be the last time, I'm sure. I'm going to read it again just real quick just to keep it in front of us. First Peter chapter 3, if you have your Bibles. Starting in verse 13. 
Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. A couple things just to that stand out immediately from this passage. You'll notice that the questioning is concerning specifically the hope that is within you. The questioning that he's talking about here says, uh, where am I at? <laughs> Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Often apologetics people will take this passage and be like, you need to defend your faith. That's what this is saying. First, before you even get there, there should be such a hope inside of you, such a, a visible expression of hope and confidence in the Lord Jesus that it stands out. It's the hope that is in you that causes people to ask questions. Peter, therefore, must be assuming that there's an inward hope, an inward hope inside of us as believers that is somehow noticeable to your unbelieving friends and community around you. It somehow differentiates you from your neighbors, this hope that is in us. And therefore, it promotes and it prompts them to ask questions. I don't know about you, but that for me is kind of convicting because I don't necessarily regularly have people asking me, what? What is it? Why are you so hopeful? Sometimes I'm just too busy and I don't even acknowledge that there's other people around. <laughs> Let's be honest. But I don't normally have people asking me, like, what, what is it about this hope? Why are you okay right now? Do I live in a way that provokes unbelievers around me to see hope, to ask questions about the gospel? Is there anything about my life that provokes those sort of questions? Those, those are what we as disciples of Jesus should regularly be evaluating. Is how I lived my life this week provocative? Is it different at all? Or is it just like all my neighbors? It's not just that. He says, when people ask what's different, you are to answer in gentleness and respect. Peter's kind of laying in here a little bit. Gentleness and respect is how we're supposed to. It's the posture of our response. It's important, like I always think about, this is Peter. This is the guy who, remember, took off a guy's ear Peter was a little bit outlandish, a little bit aggressive. Gentleness and respect. <laughs> I think, I imagine Peter reminding himself, oh yeah, gentle, respectful. Here's the irony. So Christians, we as disciples of Jesus, we're supposed to stand out. 
We're supposed to uh, live in a distinctive way. And when we do, this is what Peter says, and when we're mocked or criticized for it, the reality is that we're tempted to reply in a mocking or criticizing way back. Even if it's just in our heart. I mean, like, if we're honest, that's how, that's how it is, right? You get mocked or criticized. Your tendency is to throw that right back at them. And then at that point, we are no longer distinctive. We have just thrown that distinctiveness out the door. We now just become like everybody else that just hurls insults back and forth. behaving just like everybody else. The way of Jesus, our discipleship, your practice of the way of Jesus, your learning to be like him should permeate everything you do. It should affect all of your decisions. It should shape every facet of your life. Tim Chester, in his book on the church, he said this, church is not an event. It's a community. And mission, therefore, is not an event. It's a lifestyle. We are called to live ordinary life with gospel intentionality. It's, it's all of your life with intentionality. Everything you do, God is present. Everywhere you go, you're still a child of God. You're a disciple of Jesus. You're a servant of God. You're a sent one, a missionary that's commissioned to go out. Everything counts. It all matters. And the thing is, is that as Jesus is a disciple, as we begin, begin and we spend more time with him, he begins to transform our lives. He begins to change who we are and how we think and how we respond and how we react. And often that change is not just in what we do, but how we do it. It doesn't mean as you're growing in discipleship that you have to go to seminary necessarily and become a pastor. That's, that's not what that means. So it's not that you change what you do, but how you do it does begin to change. The focus of your life, the focus of everything you do, begins to shift from ourself and our own self-preservation, our own self-good, to Jesus and his mission on the earth. Instead of just serving ourselves and building our own kingdoms, we bless others and we seek Jesus' kingdom. In other words, this is, this is from the language of this book, we live the everyday rhythms of our life with intentionality. The regular routines, you're, whether you're eating or sleeping or having conversations or recreating or working, whatever you're doing becomes intentionally focused on the gospel or at least with the gospel in mind. Gospel intentionality is doing the ordinary activities of life under the rule and reign of Jesus. Bringing those normal things into the realm of the sacred. Bringing them under the power of the Holy Spirit. And if we're honest, that can be kind of tricky. I mean, how does grocery shopping or commuting your lunch break, what does that have to do with the gospel? Paying your bills, going on vacations, watching sports, what does that have to do with, how does that have to do with your life being changed by Jesus? 
I think often, as I've been thinking about this this week, it's, it's often slow and consistent, constant presence. It's being authentically present, authentically a disciple of Jesus in the, all of those things so that other people can see it. They begin to see what a disciple of Jesus looks like. How do they respond to the same pressures that they feel? How do they react when things get hard? As an example, and just we just celebrated 10 years. I own a coffee roasting company based in the East Bay. Um, we celebrated 10 years this Friday, and we're down for a party in Fremont, and um, it, was a, it was an interesting thing to sit there and reflect on 10 years of doing this, and we had customers who had, uh, I mean, we looked through our records. There's customers that since 2014 have been in our cafe twice a week, and like, We've had serious impact on some of these people. Um, I was talking, just talking through some of the customers that had been there for a long time, former employees, uh, our business neighbors, and just having conversations. And what began to strike me is it wasn't anything extraordinary. There's not like this like moment where I'm like, oh, this person, this person like gave their life to Jesus and their whole entire life changed. And yet, there are actually those moments. It's the slow, constant presence of being faithful to my discipleship of Jesus in the context of everybody else, the workplace there. And they begin to see Jesus, discipleship lived out. It's, it's a conversation that I had with a former barista that I had no idea had a major effect on the trajectory of his life. I had no idea. It was a simple passing conversation. I don't even remember. But he can point to a conversation he had with me and say, you changed my life from that moment. It's our neighbor, one of our business neighbors, who came to me in crisis years ago. A friend of his had just passed away. And I was just a, an ear for him to talk to. He knew I was a Christian. And I prayed for him. And I didn't know, but in that moment, he gave his life to Jesus. It, it, this is what he told me the other day. He gave his life to Jesus. He ended up going back to church. His family's in church. He just baptized his mom. He's now working at the church. I had no idea that any of that was happening. Those are the kinds of things where it's just simple intentionality. They know who you are. You're living out your faith in a real way. You're not being fake or presumptuous about it. And in a way, <clears throat> that's discipleship. I'm living out my faith in a way that provokes them, hopefully to become more like Jesus and to ask questions and to have conversations. It's being intentional with the simple things that matters. When... Uh, when Jesus called his first disciples in Matthew chapter 4, he called his first disciples. He said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. They had always been fishermen. They had spent their life probably generations as fishermen. And Jesus was calling them to do something different, similar but different 
to be fishers of men. They responded by leaving everything, their families, their careers, their futures. They left it all to follow Jesus. Started on a boat with a simple call, and that call spread all over the world. Those first disciples, what they did is they radically reoriented their life around Jesus. They recentered and refocused all of their decisions they made from that moment on were about Jesus. His teaching, his mission, his way of life. Their lives became focused on him. He was that important to them that everything was reoriented around him. Then after he had trained them for over three years, he'd spent time with them. We know that he, he dies for their sins. He's raised from the grave. When Jesus is talking to his disciples in that in-between time, sort of, he tells them to meet them on the mountain before he's going to ascend to the right hand of his father. He says, meet me on the mountain. And on that mountain, he's going to give them, this is Matthew 28, he's going to give them his, their final commission to go into all the world and make disciples, to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Spirit. Jesus, just as Jesus had in that boat called them to follow him, to be changed by him, to obey him, to center their life on them, just as they had been sent out to call others to follow him, he's going to continue that call. He's going to send them out to the ends of the earth to go and make disciples. They meet Jesus on that mountain. They worshiped him there. And this is amazing to me. This is Matthew 28, 16 through 17. Let's look at this. I think it might be on the screens. I might not, not give it to you. Matthew 28, 16, 17. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. Look at this next line. But some doubted. They were in, but they doubted. Maybe not all the way. For me, this is really encouraging. It's like, slow down and stop for a second. These guys had been with Jesus they had seen his miracles. They had heard every one of his teachings. He had taught them everything they needed to be faithful disciples, to be missionaries and sent ones, to be, in this case, apostles. They had, they had everything they needed. And yet some of them are still doubting. Some of them are still struggling. This is, this is encouraging for me. This is, discipleship is not like, you, you graduated your three-year term, you're done. Good job, disciple. Carry on. These guys were with Jesus, and they still found themselves in need of discipleship. They still needed to increasingly submit all of their life to his lordship and leadership. They were still in a process. The process would ultimately last their lifetime. It's the same is true for us. I think we, we get in our picture 
This idea of discipleship is like a process, a school, a class that you go through, a period of time where you're a new believer. I don't think that was the case. I don't think that is the case. I think we are all disciples on a journey learning to submit all of our life to Jesus. This is what discipleship is. It's an ongoing process of submitting all of your life to Jesus. Seeing him saturate your entire life and work through you. It's a process of daily growing to be more and more like him. To be more aware of him and how he meets your needs and all the, all the normal stuff of life. It's walking with Jesus. It's, it's being with him, becoming like him, and doing what he did. And once we start to realize that discipleship is the everyday stuff, it's the normal things that you do in your life, I think we're halfway to understanding this call. Your life, your discipleship is this normal, everyday rhythm of stuff. And yet, the other half is what we saw in Matthew 28. Some doubted, and he still commissioned them. He still commissioned them. They are still the ones that received that Matthew 28 commission to go into all the earth and make disciples. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Spirit, teaching them to observe all that he has commanded. It's part of your discipleship to make disciples. We all are in the business of disciple-making. As a follower of Jesus, you, your walk is anemic if it's not making disciples of someone else. We all need to be engaged in this process. Seeing God uh, not only work in us and through us and for us in our own discipleship, but also seeing him work through us in the, for the sake of other people. God didn't design, design discipleship to just be this alone, one-on-one -on -one process, just you and Jesus. Discipleship means, it means to learn to follow, to trust, and to obey Jesus, and then to train others to do the same. It requires submitting to and obeying God's word. I think there's three key areas that we do this. It's life on life. It's life in community, and it's life on mission. A disciple of Jesus needs to be engaged in all three of those areas. I think naturally we will be more comfortable in one. Some of you are more evangelistic in your bent, and you're going to be really comfortable with life on mission. Some of you are really personal. Life on life makes a lot of sense. Some of you are more in into community and socialization and life in community is going to make more sense. But it's not just one of those. We need all three of those areas to be healthy and vibrant and growing as a disciple of Jesus. I want to look at these real quick. I'm going to try to go through them quickly. Life on life. The way God works for your growth the way he works in your redemption, the way he works in forming you into his image, it always happens through others. He uses other people to form his image in you. 
He uses people who are committed to bringing your brokenness out into the open and to help you be formed by the gospel. The reality is we cover ourselves up, we, we, we hide ourselves, and we need people in our lives that can see through the things that we put up, pull back the layers, and let the gospel work. We have to get close. We have to allow ourselves to be seen by each other. Life-on-life discipleship is life lived up close so that we are visible and accessible. So that others can pull back the layers and then begin to bring the gospel into our lives. This is how Jesus lived with his disciples. He was up close. He knew them really well. He observed the way they believed by watching the way they lived. He became closely acquainted with their brokenness. He knew Peter's faults better than Peter knew his faults. As they were exposed, Jesus began to help them and shape them and form them and deal with their own issues. The reality is, and I've said this before, you can only be as effective in discipling someone or in being a disciple as you are known or being known. You can only ever, I can only speak into somebody's life as a parent or an employer or a spouse as I see them engage in that realm. I call it like, it's like the Instagram effect. <laughs> you can, and we're good at this, we can only let people see what we want them to see. But when you do life on life with people, when you actually begin to get to know people beyond just a casual conversation on a Sunday, and they begin to see the things that are wrong, they begin to see where you fail and how you succeed, then they can speak into your life in a real way. They really can bring the gospel to bear. But we have to be seen. We have to allow ourselves to be seen. We have to live in a way that is okay with the people around me seeing my faults and not pretending like everything is perfect. Second one, life in community. This plays off that last one. If you look at the life and the ministry of Jesus, and then ultimately if you look at the life and the ministry of those who came after him, the apostles and the first generations of the church, you definitely would not come to the conclusion that discipleship was a one-on-one -on -one thing. There is almost always an element of community involved. Jesus' disciples, his followers, he disciples his followers while they experience life together in community. And we know ultimately that they got this same thing from Jesus because it's how they lived. It's how they did. If you read the book of Acts, it's very much in community. They devoted themselves to one another in the normal everyday stuff. That's it's Acts 2. 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and fellowship and breaking of bread, and awe came over every soul, and wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. 
All who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all who had need. Day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they were eating together. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. This is how they lived. There was no, no need among them. They, they, they knew each other enough to be vulnerable with their needs. And then, with that, they were in a tight enough community where they could do that. Jesus' way of discipleship doesn't happen in just a one-on-one -on -one meeting. It doesn't happen just on a Sunday afternoon meeting where you listen to me talk or somebody else talk. Jesus' church is a body. It has many parts. There's lots of pieces at play. We are one body, and it takes all of us to help each other in this process to become more like Jesus. We need as many people as possible to shape and form us into his image. Third one, life on mission. Jesus didn't say, he didn't say, show up to this class and I will teach you. He didn't say, go just attend synagogue and you'll be good. That's, that's not how he did discipleship. He called his disciples to join him. To join him on his mission. He said, follow me. And while they were on the mission, while they were going, while they were doing what he had to do on the earth, he trained them. He trained them to be disciple makers and to go and do the same thing that he was doing with them. Jesus taught them the basics of making disciples while they were on the mission of making more disciples. They could see Jesus. They could observe and watch him. They could see how he interacted with people. They could see how he rebuked the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees. They could watch how he had compassion on the people around him. They could see his willingness to heal and to meet people in their need. They could see the power that he had over demons and principalities. They, they witnessed it all as he went. All the while, he's teaching them. And then he begins to invite them into the process and he uh, invites them to join him. And I'm sure we know they messed up. They weren't perfect. They didn't have it all figured out. And he was close enough in context to correct them, to guide them, to shape them. The whole time, they're on mission. They're not pulled away into a class somewhere. They're doing the stuff. They were in sort of a, a residency program. They were not just learning about what it looks like to follow Jesus, they were doing it. They were practicing the way of Jesus under his careful guidance. And he sent them out to begin to practice that. And he didn't necessarily send them alone. 
and they would return and they would share what they experienced and he would train them. He'd continue to train them. He did this on sort of ongoing training, on the mission training for three years, three and a half years sort of. And when he finally ascended to heaven, what we read in Acts there, or at the end of Matthew, they had began and been prepared to fulfill this mission. But the best training they could receive, this is the point here, is that it was while they were on mission, while they were doing this stuff. We as a church, this is, I think this is an area we need to grow in and learn, and an area that I think we need to move into, living out as a missional people. Missional people understand that we have a mission and that we were sent by God. Jesus has a mission. He has a goal on the earth, and he has commissioned us to be with him and to do it. Missional people embrace a posture, a way of thinking, behaviors, actions, attitudes, practices that are necessary to reach others with the good news of Jesus. That's what it means to be missional. To take on the posture of a missionary. We're all commissioned to do this. This is not like just for special evangelists. We are all commissioned to be on mission, to join Jesus on his mission, to make disciples. In Colossians, Paul wrote, Colossians chapter 4, let's, let's read this. Colossians 4, starting in verse 2. Paul wrote, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mysteries of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of your time. Let your speech Always be gracious, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Paul says, pray for us, that God would open a door. Are we praying for each other, that God would open a door? Are we praying for ourselves, that God would open a door? This is a good, every morning, when you leaving the house, God, open a door for me to present the gospel, to, to, to speak the mysteries of Jesus. Pray for your friends, those in, in this room. Pray for each other that God would open a door. And then Paul says, Colossians, he says, conduct yourselves wisely towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your speech always be gracious and seasoned with salt that, they may know, that you may know how to answer everyone. Again, answer. There's questions implied. Paul invites us to consider our own lifestyle, to reflect on the way we live, to live intentionally so that we have opportunities to answer outsiders' questions that they ask about the faith and the hope that's inside of us. I think Peter, that we read earlier, he's agreeing with Paul. 
They're, they're saying the same thing. Be prepared to answer anyone who asks. Live in a way that provokes those sort of questions. We're called, this is our responsibility, is to conduct ourselves in word and deed and action and life and the way that we live that leads others to ask. That allows us to enter into even passing conversations that points to Jesus. That points to hope and faith. Points to something that's outside of the everyday frustrations and struggles that your neighbors are experiencing. If our lives as people who claim the name of Jesus look just like everybody else around us, if they can't tell a difference, what questions are they going to ask? In the centuries that follow Jesus, Jesus' life and ministry on the earth, thousands, hundreds of thousands of uh, ordinary believers were living this kind of a life. They were doing normal things, but doing it under the implications of the gospel. They lived their life in front of their neighbors, and it piqued curiosity about the Christian message, about the gospel. These ordinary believers devoted themselves to sacrificial acts of kindness and goodness, and they cared for the poor and needy. They fed those dying of plague. They took them in. Their influence was so amazing that in the fourth century, the Roman Emperor Julian, who considered Christianity a, a plague, a sickness, and wanted to get rid of it, he was afraid that Christians might take over the Roman Empire. Because even in those early days, these disciples of Jesus, they were, they were acting out hospitality and generosity towards all people. Many of Julian's subjects began to hear the gospel. And so he decreed a system of food distribution and of hostels for the poorest travelers throughout his empire. He's trying to outdo the Christians. He did this because he saw how consistently Christians cared for not only their poor, but for his poor and for all of those who were traveling through the empire. And he saw that this was contagious. It was drawing others to practice the way of Jesus and to become Christians. I think in the modern world, in our realm that we live in right now, I'm not sure it's that easy to distinguish a Christian. Are we living in a way that is so provocative? Why would you take care of people that are not a part of your tribe? They don't believe your religion. They don't do things the way you do. Why would you, why would you care for them? In the book of Acts, there's a, a point where Christians come to town, and there's one of my favorite lines. Those who are turning the world upside down have come here too. Huh? That's, it's, 
to me, it's challenging. Like, are we seen as refuge, seen as, as Christians, as people who are turning Sonoma County upside down by how we're living, the implications of the gospel? Today, not very many people are surprised when a Christian business donates money to a good cause or does nice things. When we have a, a pantry per se or, or there's other secular organizations that do all of that. That's not necessarily what's provocative. I'm not saying we stop doing any of that. I think it's right and we're supposed to do all of that. I'm just asking us to reevaluate our normal things, the normal rhythms of your life, not just the extra things that you do, but the normal things, do they provoke questions? Are we living in a way that challenges people to ask? Living out our call as disciples means that we're propelled by the gospel more up towards Jesus to getting growing in our relationship with him in into Christian community and out. It has to have all three, you guys. We need to become a godly, intriguing, social, socially adventurous, even joyous, hopeful community that provokes questions. That lives out front of people to where they can see that we're hopeful people. And it's not, it's not just about doing like the random act of kindness, even the surprising thing. It's like the normal stuff is what I'm talking about. Develop a new set of habits, a new set of rhythms that foster a missional lifestyle, that foster, foster a lifestyle of discipleship and promotes others to do the same. We need to, like the first disciples, radically reorient our lives, recenter and refix our lives on Jesus. That everything we do, the, the way we make every decision in our life is centered around him. So my goal tonight, my hope, is that I would invite us to personally reflect. That we would think through our regular weekly habits. Even now, just begin to think through. Like, what is your normal, what do you got going on tomorrow morning? What's your normal weekly rhythms? What does it look like? Are they primarily motivated by your faith? Do you even think about your faith and the gospel in your normal, regular rhythms. I, I pray you do. I, I, think, I think you guys do. I think the reality is the way as you're doing simple things, going to, so as you go to land and water, and you interact with the disciples, sorry, the baristas <laughs> who are disciples, as you interact with the people that are serving you at a restaurant, as you have conversations with coworkers, all of that should be impacted by your faith. It should be influenced by the way Jesus has transformed your life.
We should think through our habits, our behaviors, our rhythms, the way that we do and choose to do our life, who we choose to hang out with, how we choose to hang out, how do we choose to spend our time. Is any of it leading people to ask, why are you so hopeful? Tell me about this gospel. Tell me about this Jesus. Jesus said, Matthew 5, you're the salt of the earth. When we live our lives intentionally as disciples of Jesus, when we choose to join him on his mission, we are the salt of the earth. We are bringing flavor to the earth. People will notice. They'll begin to ask. They'll be challenged in their own understanding of Jesus. If no one's asking, if no one's seeing your lives live differently, I think we need to reevaluate. It's worth reconsidering how we're orienting our lives. Amen? Pray and Jordan and Zach can come back up. Father, I thank you. God, I just thank you that even at that great commission, the disciples still doubted. That whether we've been in the faith for decades or weeks, that we are all in a process. That we are all on a journey of increasingly becoming more and more like Jesus. We are all on this journey together. Jesus, I ask that as we, this week, as we reflect on the normal things of our life, we reflect on our rhythms and our habits, we reflect on our rituals, that you would speak to us, that you would lead us and guide us. You'd give us wisdom and how to reorient our lives around the gospel. And God, give us strength to do that to upend normal rhythms, to reorient them around Jesus. Help us to be the type of people that you've called us to be. And God, we do ask that you would touch our city and use us to do it. In Jesus' name.